0: When we are looking at any process, producing a car, agriculture, the process of mining, how do we make sure that there is a positive legacy, a positive contribution in in that process circularity, in the process of creating something, in, in the process of getting something? Out of that process, you get a product or a commodity or something. That needs to be circular too. Now, for climate, this is crucial too. Because doubling our level of circularity from today's levels, which is around 8-9% globally, if we double that, we can reduce 40% global emissions.
1: One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Pogue, and we are live in New York City at the Concordia Annual Summit with special guest Christian Spano, Director of Innovation for the International Council on Mining and Metals, an industry association comprising major global mining and metals companies dedicated to promoting sustainable development, responsible mining practices, and environmental and social performance improvement within the sector. In the episode, we start by understanding what circularity means for mining, how we can adopt practices that regenerate and reduce waste. We then look into impactful research initiatives with ICMM's partners, covering topics like wind turbines, solar panels, and key materials such as aluminum, copper, and steel. We discuss why it's essential for mining companies to embrace circular business models, addressing challenges and opportunities through innovation and collaboration. The episode wraps up by envisioning the future of sustainable mining, highlighting ICMM's commitment to responsible practices and the positive impact of circular economy principles. What's the one thing that most of us carry around at all times, no matter the situation? Our smartphones. Smartphones provide us with technology in the palm of our hand and connect us to people all across the globe. One thing that you probably don't think about is what happens when your smartphone's usable life is up? What happens when you trade in your phone for a newer model? What if instead of going to the trash, it gets a second chance? Enter the world of product circularity. Our smartphone, instead of becoming waste, transforms. Its bits and pieces are carefully taken apart, and things like metal and plastic get another shot at being something useful. The aluminum might end up in a new gadget, the copper in a cool energy project, and the special minerals back in the making of more devices. This is what we mean by circular economy, giving stuff a second life instead of just throwing it away. The circle of circular economy is like a big recycling loop that keeps things going. Let's break it down. It starts with making stuff, like your favorite gadgets, clothes, or even furniture. Companies create things from raw materials. People like you and me use these things in our daily lives. We wear the clothes, use the gadgets, and enjoy the furniture. And instead of throwing things away when we're done with them in a circular economy, we give them a second chance. This is where recycling comes in. Imagine your old phone or clothes becoming part of something new. The materials from these old things are used to create something fresh. It's like they get a new life. And guess what? This new thing goes back into the loop. So it's a continuous cycle of making, using, and recycling where nothing goes to waste. And things keep coming around in a sustainable loop. Joining us on the Green Hour today is an expert on the circular economy in the mining industry. Christian Spano is the Director of Innovation for the International Council on Mining and Metals, and he started his career in Peru and Latin America in the forestry and energy sectors before moving first to renewables and power, and then for the last 10 years to the mining and metals industry. While working for ICMM member Anglo-American, Christian gained experience of working on innovation in a socioeconomic development context. This was followed by roles at World Economic Forum and Systemic, where Christian focused on business models, regulation, and finance. He has also been exposed to impact investing, where he has had the chance to support disruptive technologies entering the mining and metal space. Christian is an economist with a master's degree in international development from the London School of Economics and a postgraduate diploma in strategy and innovation from the University of Oxford. The circular economy can be easy to understand when looking at the example of a smartphone. On the flip side, mining, with its complexity, adds more layers to the puzzle. Though the challenge is formidable, it's a non-negotiable step towards securing a sustainable future. All right, welcome back to The Green Hour. We are here with Christian Spano, Director of Innovation for the International Council of Mining and Metals. Thank you so much for joining us today,
0: Christian. Thank you so much for the invitation. Glad to be here.
1: So I think this whole conversation is going to revolve around the circular economy. And even as we were talking before this, I mean, I'm I'm getting really excited um, talking about these issues, but we're going to focus on mining throughout this talk. But the first thing I want to talk about is this aspect of waste, how our producers and how we're manufacturing, how it affects waste and how we view waste as a society. So could you talk about just the aspect of waste and again, how we
0: view this? Thank you. I mean, look, it's a very good entry point to this conversation because the circular economy has been framed around waste a lot. No, in many ways, it's useful because people can relate to waste very quickly, and I think we we'll all we all agree that we produce too much waste, and so and people is concerned about waste, and waste can be damaging for the environment and for the health of people, and and so on. So it becomes very personal. And it becomes very relevant from a political point of view. So that's, I think, the the positive of of, uh, of building a narrative around around waste. It's a powerful hook. The problem with focusing uh, the, uh, the circular economy around waste is that it it leads us to um um it lead us to a point where there is basically no value. No waste is value less. That's why it's waste. No, and it almost feels like you're trying to do the impossible. You're trying to find waste. Sorry, find value in waste. And, and so the, the concept of waste is something that we as humanity invented. Right? If you think about a star in the universe, when it collapses and it's in life, it releases a lot of energy, it releases a lot of gas, it releases a lot of other components that were at the origin of that star. For example, carbon p- profoundly linked with life on Earth. And so I, I wouldn't say that neither the energy that is released or the gas that is released or the carbon that is fundamental for life is waste. You know, And the same happens in our planet. You know, nature and the sea and the atmosphere, there is no waste. There is no waste. And so we tend to be very, um, we tend to be very like um, uh, romantic and say, oh, that's so beautiful, Christian. That's you know, uh, so beautiful to think about. It's quite fundamental. There is no waste. We need to think about resources the resources that come into a process, the resources that get out of a process, and how we design to get the most value always from those resources. If we think about resources and we kill the concept of waste, we're going to be focused on value.
1: So I think that's a great point on on resources. And that really gets us into our next point of talking about the circular economy and its relevance to the mining industry. We're talking about real resources that we're mining for. So could you define circular economy and its relevance to the mining industry?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I mean, look, Think about the International Council on Mining and Metals, not the organization I represent. Um, These are 25 of the largest mining companies in the world, the most advanced and progressives. You have 650 sites around the world, 30% of the market cap, and the whole purpose of the International Mining and Council of Metals is to work with these mining leaders uh, to deliver to the Sustainable Development Goals uh, and to the goals in the Paris Agreement. When one thinks about circular economy, immediately by definition, until now it has been that mining is pretty linear. So the the goal is to, you know, don't mine. It's very interesting because it has catch a lot of attention in in many in many places. But I come from Peru. I can tell you that that doesn't sound sexy for a resource uh, a rich country, and it's and it's profoundly unfair in the sense that. What are we saying is that we're going to take all the resources from these resource-rich, most of the time, developing countries. And at some point in time, we're going to be putting them in very rich markets, or the ones that buy all these resources. And those markets will become very circular. And success is for these markets to become very circular and the resource-rich countries to never be mine again. And that's really good. (laughs) I don't, you know... I I don't agree with that concept and with that definition of of the circular economy at all. I think we need to think about process circularity. When we are looking at any process, producing a car, agriculture, the process of mining, how do we make sure that there is a positive legacy, a positive contribution in in that process circularity, in the process of creating something, in, in the process of getting something? Out of that process, you get a product or a commodity or something. That needs to be circular, too. So you need to focus on process circularity and product circularity. And you start at, if you map that, process circularity happens a lot in developing countries. Product circularity happens a lot in developed economies. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can frame a just transition from a circular point of view. Now, for climate, this is crucial, too. Because doubling our level of circularity from today's levels, which is around 8 9% globally, if we double that, we can reduce 40% global emissions. Oh, wow. So we start to think about, you know, the circular economy framed as process and product circularity can lead to a just transition, reduces 40% of emissions or have the potential to reduce 40% of emissions. The mineral and metals linked to this process circularity developed a durable resource that can be recovered forever. It's crucial for the energy transition. It's found in developing nations that need development and need a new way of industrialization. And when we think about this process circularity, and we really engage on that, and we think about carefully and in a clever way, we now focus on the hole that is left on the ground to take the mineral out of it. But if we think about the land that you you influence through that process, you can actually think about mining as a process that is designed to leave a positive legacy in that geographic area. So how can we think about mining as a process that leaves a positive contribution to nature, to society, and to the environment? You know? And so I, I, I try to think in those terms. You know, Mining, which is core for the energy transition in terms of the products it delivers, it can be core and it has a fundamental role to play in the circular economy in the just transition because it sits on the process side, countries where we extract stuff, and the product it releases is fundamentally important for the energy transition. And the product is durable, can be recovered forever. So we need to think about the circular economy a little bit different. Yes. So
1: you mentioned, I think you said we're at an 8% circular rate globally. And you're saying if we can double that, we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40%. Yeah. How do you think we do that? Is that is that going with this circular processes framework that you have for the developing countries? or like? How do you think we can get to that level of doubling um, the circular economy?
0: That's a great. I mean, I'm 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 playing in a safe place here because a, there is a full report on this uh, that was produced uh, by an organization that we partner with, which is called the Circular Economy uh, Organization, which produces yearly a uh, report that is called the Gap Report. And if it was one of these Gap Reports, I think it was last year or the year before, where they focused on the circular economy and climate and carbon emissions. Basically, what they were saying is, look, we are at a, a very low levels of circularity, nine percent, nine percent. But there is a fundamental and disproportionate effect in a positive way if we double it. And they talk about all the policy levers and all the different elements that you know, uh, different industries and different countries could embrace to double circularity, and it's pretty doable. Now, I want I want to bring it back to mining and metals. So, no? if you think about what is required for the energy transition and for development, if you think about uh, you know, the SDG number 12, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal number 12, sustainable production and consumption. It's production and consumption. Mm. So we need to think about circularity in those terms. And you think about mining. There's a huge amount of minerals and metals that are going to go from Chile, Peru, Zambia, parts of Canada, Australia, South Africa, and a huge amount of this minerals. They're going to go to Europe, the US, China, India, to... You know, we need to produce these electric vehicles, these batteries, these wind farms and solar panels and all of that. Now, if we think about that process and we, at the heart of this, we think about increasing circularity in the mining process, all the tires of the trucks to be treated as a resource, all the tailings that are produced and treated as a resource safely, all the water to be circulated all the contribution to nature to have a positive contribution at the process level, at the mine level. And then all this material that will go into solar panels and batteries and electric vehicles and buildings and all, all of that to be designed for easy recovery at any time and if it's possible to increase its value. If you do that only in the mining industry, it will give a fantastic contribution to that doubling. How much it does provide, I haven't done the maths, but just think about the scale-up. You know, We need to double the production of copper by 20, 2035, 2040. Double. So, and this is only copper. You know, think about steel. Think about aluminum and all of that. No? So there's an element uh, on on how do you do it on the process side. There's a huge opportunity. And how do you do it on the product side? There's a huge opportunity. I don't think it's impossible, but we need to change our mindset. We really need to think about it uh, differently. It's not just about waste management.
1: Right. Well, um, and I just wrote this down because it came to mind. So I went to school in eastern Kentucky, uh, Pikeville, Kentucky, old coal mining town, and going to school there, learning about the mining practices in Kentucky, in eastern Kentucky, a lot of people gave mining a bad rap, I would say. People say, oh, it's terrible for the environment, especially when you're talking about strip mining in in eastern Kentucky, you know, everything that came out of it. I think, you know, a lot of these people in eastern Kentucky, um, they would get like black lung and the conditions weren't as good. You know, expanding from from that, which we've transitioned away from from the coal mining in Eastern Kentucky. But now you you have these tailing tailing ponds still at these sites. Uh, and one cool thing, and I wrote this down, i don't I don't remember if it's the inflation Reduction Act or the bipartisan infrastructure law that has a section for um, legacy pollution that they're actually going in and cleaning up these areas. But I wanted to add that in there, but I just wanted to to ask you the question. you know, for those people that that say that mining, Mining's terrible for the environment. Why are we mining? We need to just let China or, or India do the mining or, or South America. What do you say to those people um, that have that opinion on mining?
0: Look, I, I don't blame them. I, I don't know if you have watched Peaky Blinders um, uh, uh, and <laughs> the, the images. I mean, the the that you see there in industrial uh, Birmingham, no? They are terrible, right? They are horrible. The labor conditions, uh, the pollution. I mean, horrible, no? So we keep the idea that that industry is that and that we frame it in a way that has never changed and will never change. Very tricky to improve industry. Very tricky to engage in, in a conversation on how to make industry leave a positive legacy because we have already stuck our mindset that industry is bad, it's bad for the environment, it's bad for people. And I'm using the picky blinders just just right. to just to connect, you know, with right. the audience. Right. But something similar happens with uh, with mining. You know? mining can be, you know, very bad for the environment, for society, for governance. You know, I come from Peru. You know, I, I, I know that it can be also be very very good. I come from Peru. So uh, the thing here is that, and and this comes from a conversation I had with a very very large uh, company, one of the largest uh, companies that use a lot of metals. And we were trying to engage with them. And at the end of the conversation, I know very quickly in the conversation, they said, you know, Christian, talking about circular mining, the process circularity that you talk about, for me, is almost like putting lipstick in, in a pig. And so that for me is not only shocking because I'm trying to embrace change. I'm, I'm, not, saying, I'm not saying mining is circular today or mining is always good. That, that will be lying, you know. What I'm saying is let's please think together a way that can make mining what we all want it to be. Let's look out there and think about, is there already a type of mining that we like or are there elements in the process of mining that we think we should make the norm? And I'm very happy to share with you tons of those examples. You know? And and so you were asking me, you know, why would I say to these people, it's only fair to give people that live in mining towns or, or you know, uh, are in some way related to mining, we need to give them the chance to think about the future in a way that they feel proud of being part of this industry, an industry that has supplied the materials for a new world that is zero carbon, nature positive and fair, an industry that leaves a positive legacy and not focus that future on the bad legacy and on the bad examples and the terrible stories, all true, all in history. But let's, let's do our homework. Let's really engage and say, look, mining can also be positive. Mining has to be, the norm needs to be that mining leaves a positive legacy. It's pretty hard, but we can, and we should work on that. If we don't do it, if we don't embrace it, you know, chances are we're going to fail. And it's not the mining industry that fails. It's, you know, it's, it's everybody that fails. I think, I think it's easy for people to look at
1: mining and say, oh, oh it's terrible. You know, it's, it's, it can be bad for the environment. You know, we need to go away from it. But then you look at like renewable energy sources and you need this, you need mining, you need these minerals to even make this happen. I mean, you mentioned EVs, the batteries, people don't realize that you need these minerals for that. But, you know, taking, taking that conversation and kind of pivoting, I want to talk more about the ICMM and talk about your partnerships. Um, three partnerships that I have down, you have a partnership with the Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment um, with the, and I might be butchering this, the Enel know Foundation, Eni, Eni, okay, E&I Foundation, and then with Circle Economy, which I think that you mentioned. Could you talk about those partnerships and how they, I guess,
0: benefit ICMM? Look, I mean, this has been a phenomenal journey with with these partners and with the members. Um, the circular economy, again, as I said at the beginning uh, of the podcast, you know, when you were talking about mining, didn't have any role at the circular economy, and we were stepping back and saying, "Wait a minute," I mean. To really have a global circular economy, we need materials that last forever. If we have materials that don't last forever, we need them to be as durable as possible. And then we need to put the conditions in place so that we can recover these materials as efficiently at any time and increase their value. So in that way, we have the incentives to drive a circular economy globally. So which are the most durable materials in the world? Metals, minerals. There's nothing more durable than that. Now we pivoted to: Do we have the right conditions to recover them efficiently at any time and to increase their value? And that led to the conversation with the Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment, in with ENI, which is a co-founder and a partner, a thought partner. They have incredible work on the circular economy. And I think having somebody independent um, with such strong academic credentials, listening to our questions, raising fundamental challenge to our framework and to our views really help us evolve. And so we work with them on understanding what are the conditions, there are basically four. I mean, this can be very complex or very simple. In the simplest way, say there are four conditions that you need to understand in terms of how they look today and how they need to look at the end uh, to have a global circular economy. So you need to think about policy. Is policy helping today a linear economy or a circular economy? If it's helping a circular economy, how much? Do we have enough policy support to drive a global circular economy? Then we need to look at technology. Where is technology focusing? Do we need to develop new technology? Do we need to adopt new technology? Is technology focused too much on the product circularity? Or is it focused too much on the process circularity? How much, I mean, what is the problem here? How how far do we get on circularity if we just adopt the current set of technologies that we have, both on product and process? The third layer is finance. If we we're talking about trillions here in any transition. No, I, I was in a roundtable with the Energy Transition Commission. They were saying that we need $4 trillion a year, every year, to drive the transition for renewable electricity. So what is the volume of money we need to drive a global circular economy, both in process and product? We don't know. And then the last bit is we need to understand the end point. Many times, and this happened with climate, it's very important to go back to similar transitions and think about the stages. In climate... We didn't know at the beginning what the end state was. We were saying, look, we need to reduce emissions, fine. I'll reduce 30%, I'll reduce 20%. The moment science said, wait a minute, there is a stock of carbon that we cannot go beyond. Otherwise, life for humanity doesn't, doesn't exist. The moment you understand that there is a stock, a certain volume of carbon that you cannot surpass, you really understand what the end state is. So we need to drive all our processes and everything we do to to avoid being above that stock of carbon. So that's the end state. Do we know that for the circular economy? We don't. The only bit that we know is on carbon. Carbon is a waste flow, and so carbon is part of the circular economy, and we, we have that as a good framework. But do we understand in any other material or product and process, do we understand what the end point is? Do we understand what are the business models? You know, how does a circular mining process look like? How does the circular economy look like for automotives or for construction or you know? What's the end state? And and so this piece of uh, work with Columbia was to to look at to look at those four conditions today and how they need to be with circular economy. We use their credentials because we really want to get to a point where we look at the stocks and the flows and we can with certainty say, this mining company is circular. We need for that uh, um, KPIs. Mm. Right now, it will be very tricky whether a mining company is in their trajectory to becoming circular, whether it's 8%, 40%, 10%, we don't know. And so with circular economy, using the the methodology they use for the gap reports, we're applying the similar concept to the the mining industry Processing product circularity and saying, please help us set a set of KPIs that we can use and and inform, you know, how circularity is is, uh, helping to evolve the mining industry.
1: So you mentioned um, talking about, you know, what does a circular model look like for a mining company? And I kind of want to ask you that, just if maybe like a case study just right here in the moment. Like, what what would that look like from, let's say, from the very get-go until the end i guess of extracting the minerals putting the minerals into something and then how it all becomes circular so could you give that case study i know it's on the spot but i'm, I'm very interested
0: no no it's fine look i mean this is this is um this is interesting uh there are a couple of conversations on uh, metals as a service i don't know if you have heard that uh and and there are other concepts that are uh, that, that you know that are floating around uh but I would like to share you some an idea, you know a concept that you can play with, and there are several business models that could be applied to this. But just think about, you know, you have a natural resource and a stock in a in in a set of industries. No, so you get copper, you, you extract copper, and you send copper to construction, electric vehicles, and wind farms. Right. Now, let's say just to make the example simple. Now, in the current way, you get the copper from a natural reserve and you sell it to the market. The market buys it and they produce. Um, these buildings, uh, wind farms, and, and electric vehicles. Th- then we usually, on average, copper becomes waste at 40%. You know, you recover 40%, 60% is not recovered. And that varies depending on where you see it and in the industry and everything, but broadly speaking. And the mine keeps its linear process of extracting and, and selling. Now, think about uh, uh, in a circular way think about a company that says, wait a second, I mean, I'm going to. I take the copper from the natural reserve, but I'm going to make sure that my contribution to that area of land is positive. So I'm going to get all the water. I'm going to recycle it, or I'm going to have a positive contribution on water, positive contribution to nature. I'm going to have all contracts as a service for everything I use. So that if I use metal in any of, it's going to be as a service. I'm going to use it, contract for service, and then at the end of the life of that, I'm going to return it. Everything, the tires as a service. So that everything that is done in that mine is used for a period of time, usually long, but it's in a, the concept of waste doesn't exist. And if there is an impact that cannot be mitigated, it's offset in a positive way. So if it's a piece of land that needs to be impacted for any reason, there's a much bigger big, big piece of land that is regenerated and, and not only helps to the environment, but you know contributes positively. That's on the process side. It's super tricky to do. So you need a lot of conditions, financial, regulatory policy, a lot of conditions, but What that makes is that then the material that comes out from that mine has a positive... Just imagine from an ESG point of view, it enters a market with a number of credentials. It has left positive contribution in terms of water, social, environment, and all of that. This copper drove a positive legacy on that mine. By producing, by extracting this copper, you left that positive legacy. Now, the same company says you know what, that copper that will go to that wind farm and to that electric vehicle and to that uh, construction company, I'm not going to lose it. I'm going to buy it up front. I'm going to go to the car manufacturer, to the building uh, construction company and to the wind farm. And I'm going to say, I'm going to buy all the copper you use, but you need to design for easy recovery and you need to trace it. and, And you need to give me a financial document that says that I have the option, first option, to buy all the copper that goes into your supply chains. So at any point in time, that copper, again, never becomes waste because I am going to have it. Now, the beauty of this is that I'm not only buying the copper that goes out of my mine. That copper used in those industries comes from many mines. So that stock is a growing stock of copper. So suddenly, as a mining company, I have a growing stock of copper in those materials that have been designed for easy recovery, and, and I have access to natural stocks that are leaving a positive legacy. There is no waste in this concept. Now, this is somewhere in the future, just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's super hard, super right. hard. But as an end state, it's easy to frame it in the same that if you talk to young people, people that live in mining areas, to governments, or you talk to those manufacturers of wind farms and electricals and so on, it's an appealing story. It's something that will bring people along. No, it's something that people want to engage with and create.
1: Yeah, my my interest is, and in, I'll say my mind is definitely going all over the place because wh- I work for a large flooring manufacturer and everything you're talking about with mining and the practices and making it circular is what we're doing in flooring manufacturing. So from the very get go of creating the product, creating the product, the flooring, the carpet, um, the laminate, the hard surface in a way that it's easily recycled and put back into our manufacturing line down the road. And everything from what chemicals we're putting in the product to um, how are we sourcing the materials. So it's really interesting to uh, to think about again ma- the manufacturing industry and mining industries for flooring very different. But we're trying. I, I know that my company is trying to be as circular as possible. The last the last question I have for you, Christian, is and this this might seem like an obvious answer, but I do want to hear your your thoughts on it. Um, of talking about the potential of mining to contribute to a net zero economy. I think you answered it earlier when talking about the circular economy is 8%. We want to double that. Global um, emissions will, will drop by 40%. But could you talk about you know the potential of mining to contribute to a
0: net zero economy? Well, there are at least three ways. Uh, one is that mining um, supplies the the, the, the critical minerals that are required for any carbon solution, I would say, or most carbon solutions, no? We've spoken about batteries, electric vehicles, wind farms, solar panels, you name it, no? Um, so that's one. Uh, the second one is the emissions from the mine themselves, no? All members of the of ICMM have committed to become net zero by 2050. And if you think about uh, the big hole tracks, uh, in these mines, we have a specific initiative that is called the, the initiative for cleaner and safer vehicles. Uh, that is looking to uh, make available global solutions, zero-carbon solutions for these massive whole trucks by 2030. Working closely with the OEMs that deliver these solutions, and and have full uptake of these solutions by 2040. Now, these emissions from these massive trucks can represent between 30 to 80 percent of site-level emissions. But there's another pocket there, so making mining zero carbon is the, the next uh, area. And, and the final area is the value chain. No? So when you think about scope 3 emissions, you know, uh, we have just uh, created a guidance for accounting and reporting scope 3 emissions. If you think about the, the total emissions of the mining industry and, and the value chain, um, from 65 to 98% of, of the total emissions from mining sit in scope 3. And so there is where the circular economy can play a massive role. You know how you engage with customers so that you have full circularity there and with suppliers so that you have products as a service and so on I was listening and with this I finished and I was super inspired I was listening a session organized by Irina in the eni building eni is the largest oil and gas producer in, in Italy um, and and one of the directors from ENI was saying now we are engaging in a process of actively working with our customers to get alternative sources of energy and that is becoming the core of our business going forward. This is crazy to think about. I mean, I'm 45. 20 years ago, the largest oil and gas company from Italy saying that they are engaging with the customers to move to other sources of energy out of oil and gas. Right. Now, obviously, if you think about where they sit today, maybe oil and gas is the majority of what they produce. But these guys, at least he and I, how they come across, they are talking serious stuff. You know, they... And and carbon, being the main waste stream they produce, they're tackling by substituting this with renewable energy and other sources of of, of energy, energy efficiency services and all of it. For a mining company on scope 3, it's a much more natural space because the mining industry doesn't burn their copper. They don't burn their aluminium. They can reuse it forever. And so there is a natural space and a strategic role for the minerals and metals uh, that, that the industry produces That reduces significant emissions in the value chain. And for every percentage that we reduce in the value chain in scope 3, it's a massive contribution to the total emissions in the industry.
1: Yeah, last thing I'll say is scope 3 emissions. My company and our ESG report this last year, that that was one of our big targets to create, I guess, reporting and really report our scope 3 emissions because I guess we'd never done that before. So I think we're doing that. And then next year's ESG report will really have numbers for that. But like I said, uh, Christian, it's been such a pleasure having you on. My dream, you bring up Peru, is to hike the Inca Trail
0: uh, up to Machu Picchu. So that's that's like
1: what I want to do. I love to hike. So thank you again for coming on.
0: You should do the Inca Trail, 100%. You should visit all parts of Peru. It's wonderful. Eat their food. Learn some Spanish. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. And have a look at the guidance for scope 3 accounting and reporting, because I'm sure it will apply also for